are listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Go ahead and grab a seat. Grab a seat. It is good to see you. Uh, I want to talk, start tonight by telling you a little bit about a family tradition of mine. Every July in my family growing up, we would take a family vacation with my mom's side of the family. Every single July, since I can remember, we would go down to Daytona Beach. And you got to understand that this was a long-standing tradition in my mom's side of the family. Like, my mom went to Daytona Beach every year growing up whenever she was a little girl, okay? So Daytona Beach, for the Camac family, is just like, it's the spot. It's the place to be. And so every year we would go, grow, go down to, to Daytona Beach, Florida. We'd spend a week at the beach. And I have a lot of fond memories associated with Daytona Beach. But I also have one very vivid memory that sticks out that is not a fond memory at all. It is a memory that will forever live in infamy. It is a moment where I was absolutely terrified for my very life. I remember being about 14 years old and being out in the ocean with my cousin Chelsea. And Chelsea and I were just playing, we're goofing off, we're doing what kids do, hanging out in the ocean, right? And it's all fun and games. Everything's going great. We're having a blast until at one moment, Chelsea looks at me and she kind of has terror in her face. And she's like, Adam, can, can you touch the ground anymore? And I, we've been like jumping over waves and swimming and I like try to touch the bottom and realize that I can't touch the bottom. And then I like try to swim and touch the bottom and I can't even like swim and touch the bottom. And we realize real quickly that we are deep, deep, deep in the water. And we look up to the beach to see where our family was. My family is like one of those families that sets up like tent city on the beach. You know, like multicolored tents, chairs, towels, like the whole nine. And we can see Camac Tent Village like way over this way. But it's super, super far away from us. And we quickly realized that what had happened is as we were playing on the surface, we had gotten caught in a riptide. And we started moving further and further away from where we'd intended to be. And whenever we realized that, it was like panic in our hearts, panic. And we start just just trucking it towards the shore. Like we're just swimming with all of our 14-year-old might. Like we're going at it just as hard as we possibly can. I remember just, I vividly remember this. This was traumatizing, obviously, for me. Because I remember swimming and just thinking, this is it. Like, it's been a good 14-year run, but, like, I'm out. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, right? And I'm just, like, swimming as hard as I can. And luckily for us, we finally made it to the shore, and we, like, collapsed on the shore. And then we're, like, going back to our family, telling, our, telling everybody it's super dramatic. I think I, we actually have a, a picture on the screen. So this is us, arm in arm, headed back to the safety of the hotel pool where there is no rip current, right? Um, that was us. You can take that off the screen now, Barry. Um, Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because I think this story illustrates the life that we are currently living in. Like, we as a creation were made by a glorious, beautiful God. This is what we believe as followers of Jesus, that we were made by God in his very image. And we were made to enjoy relationship with him. We were made to participate in what he's doing here on the earth. We were made to find our satisfaction, our fulfillment, and our joy in relationship with our creator. But in the midst of all of that that we were created to enjoy, there is an undercurrent in our world that seeks to pull us away from our created intent. An undercurrent that is subtle, just like that riptide in Daytona, but it gets us further 
and further away from where we were intended to be. And if we are not careful, this undercurrent can lead to our ultimate destruction. And that is what we're here to talk about tonight. We've been journeying together through this series on the Lord's Prayer, and we've just been going line by line, talking about this prayer of Jesus, talking about how this is a prayer that many of us have heard many, many times. But because of that, sometimes it loses its meaning. So we've just been taking time to slow down and go line by line and talk about what it is that Jesus is actually teaching us whenever he gives us this beautiful prayer. And we talked about how in the first three weeks there's these major perspectives that he's showing us. That we are meant to approach God as our Father who is in heaven. That the one who created all things, we get the opportunity through the sacrifice of Jesus to know him as Father. And then he, we talked about how the heart desire of every believer should be to see God's name be hallowed or be regarded as holy among all peoples and all places. And we talked about the reality that we have been invited to participate in the coming of the kingdom, that we are living in an age that has a lot of darkness and we are invited to be a part of a revolution, bringing the kingdom of light, being a part of God's kingdom advancing here on earth. Those are massive things. But we've also seen in this prayer that God doesn't just want us to pray the big monumental prayers, but that he also cares about our daily needs. He invites us to pray for our daily bread. He invites us to pray for forgiveness for the things that we have done wrong on a daily basis and the power to forgive others who have wronged us. And as we come to the end of this prayer, we see Jesus inviting us to pray for one more need as well. And he's inviting us to pray for help in fighting against the undercurrent that is temptation in our world. His last line in this prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Like that's the last line of his prayer. He encourages his disciples to pray that they would not be led into temptation, but to be delivered from evil. This is significant. This has so many implications for us in our world today. Like we live in a world that is filled with so many temptations, so many things that would seek to draw you away from your created intent. Implied in this prayer is the reality that we have an enemy, one who seeks to pull us away from our created design, that there are powers of darkness, there are powers of e evil, and we need God's help in order to fight against them. We need God's power for deliverance. We need God's power to overcome this undercurrent. That's where my analogy falls short, right? My story of Daytona Beach, I was able to get out of that by my own power. This undercurrent, we cannot escape on our own, and we need God's help. And we must learn how to pray for God to help us, lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to do so by answering three questions. Three questions. This is going to be the flow of the night. We're going to answer, the first question that we're going to answer is just what is temptation? Like whenever the, excuse me, whenever the Bible talks about temptation, what does that even mean? What, what is temptation? The second question we're going to answer is, what does it mean to pray that we would not enter into temptation? What does this prayer even mean? And the third question that we're going to answer is, how do we fight back against tempta tempta temptation? 
or word to say. How do we fight back? So those are the three questions. What is temptation? What does it mean to pray this prayer? And how do we fight back against it? That's where we're headed, all right? So first question, what is temptation? Now, if you've been in church for a while, that might sound like a simplistic question to you, but I want us to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Like there's a tendency in our minds to equate temptation and sin. And although they are related, they are not the same thing. We need to understand the distinction between them both. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to join me in James chapter 1. And I do actually want you to flip there. I don't normally get you to flip there, but I want you to flip there, all right? James chapter 1, towards the end of your Bibles, all right? James is filled with tons of practical instruction for how we are to live our lives uh, for God's glory. And I'm going to be in James chapter 1, and I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture from verses 12 through 15. It says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. We're going to come back to that. But look at verses 14 and 15 specifically. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I want you to see this progression here. All right, it's a little audience participation. You already got it. You already prayed the Lord's Prayer with me. So I answer these questions with me. Like, look at this progression. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. There you go. Say it with confidence. You got this, all right? By his own desire. And when desire is conceived, it eventually gives birth to what? There you go. That's better. And sin, when it's fully grown, leads to what? This is the progression that I want you to see. Temptation is the beginning of this process. And so if we want to avoid the sin that leads to our destruction, we need to head it off at the beginning. We need to talk about how we combat temptation. Like we live in a broken world and we all experience temptation. And temptation plays on these disordered desires in our heart. Because we live in a broken world, we all have desires that are not as they should be. We have desires to rule and reign on our own apart from God. Desire to, to be in control and to trust ourselves rather than trusting in God. Desire to look for acceptance, approval, and satisfaction in places other than a relationship with the Lord. And temptation plays on their desires and tries to entice us. And whenever we give in to temptation, that is what the Bible calls sin. So they are related, but they are not the same thing. So a good definition of temptation for you tonight, I believe this is going to be behind me on the screens, that temptation is a force, whether internal or external, that preys on the disordered desires of our hearts and seeks to lead us towards sin. That is what temptation is. It's a force, whether internal or external. What I mean by that is that that could be a desire that is within us or it can be a temptation that comes from outside of us, but it leads, it preys on the disordered desires of our hearts and seeks to lead us towards sin, which is going to be destructive behaviors for us. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page, that whenever we're talking about sin, 
excuse me, whenever we're talking about temptation, we're talking about that, a force, internal or external, that preys on disordered desires of our hearts and seeks to lead us towards sin. And so Jesus says, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the next question we got to ask is, what does that prayer even mean? Like whenever Jesus prays that prayer, what exactly is he praying? What exactly is he encouraging us to pray? To lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That may sound like a simple question to you, but I got to tell you, there's a lot of debate about this. Commentators are very divided as to what this prayer actually means. There's a lot of options that it could mean. Like you got to ask yourself the question, like does it mean that, like are we praying and asking God that he wouldn't tempt us? Well, no, because according to James chapter 1, which we read a moment ago, that God doesn't tempt anyone. So it can't be that. Well, are we praying that, that God would never allow us to be tempted, that he would just remove all temptation from us? Is that what the prayer is? Well, maybe, but not, that doesn't make sense because Matthew chapter 4 tells us a story where Jesus is being tempted and it literally says in Matthew 4, 1 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so if Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, it doesn't really make sense that we would pray to not be tempted if he was led into a moment of temptation. So it's, other commentators kind of point out that this word can be translated as trial instead of temptation. So does this mean that, that we're praying and asking that God wouldn't let us go through difficult circumstances? Maybe that's the prayer, like don't let me go through hard things. Like, but that doesn't make sense either because the book of James tells us that we should consider it joy, whenever we experience trials and suffering because we realize that in those moments that we get to see God's sufficiency and God's power like never before and we actually get to grow in our relationship with God. So if it's not any of those things, what is it? What does this prayer actually mean? In a nutshell, I want you to key in on two words in this prayer. That Jesus is praying that we would not be led into temptation, like if you underline your Bibles, underline that word, into temptation, but that we would be delivered from evil. Key in on those two words, into, not be led into temptation, and that we would be delivered from evil. You see, temptation and trial are inevitable in our world. To pray that we would not experience them at all would be a silly thing to pray. But to pray that we would have the strength to not give into temptation, but that we would experience the power of God to deliver us from the evil is a great thing for us to pray. Do you see that? Do you understand what I'm saying there? This prayer is not about us never experiencing temptation and trial. It's about us having the strength to endure it. This prayer is Jesus teaching us to pray, Lord, help me to not give into temptation. Lord, help me to have strength to fight back against the powers of temptation. Lord, in your power, please deliver me from the forces of darkness. Like you are going to face temptation in this life. You are going to have trial in this life. You know that. Every single one of you in this room has experienced that. But in the midst of it, Jesus wants you to understand that you're not alone that you don't have to face it in your own power. And yet, in your own power, there is no way that you could ever stand up to the powers of darkness. 
But in the power of God, you can absolutely begin to fight back. Like this prayer is an acknowledgement that the powers of evil, the powers of temptation, the powers of darkness are far too great for me. And God, I need your help. Would you help me to fight back against the temptation? Would you help me to fight back against the powers of darkness in our world? This is, this is key to the Christian life. So much of the Christian life is us coming to the end of ourselves and realizing that we cannot do it on our own and that we need a power greater than us and learning to call out to our Father who is in heaven for his deliverance, for his help. That is what this prayer is all about. On our own, we are powerless against the powers of darkness, but in the power of God, we can begin to fight back. I want you to experience that. I want you to see that. Like this is, this is the part of the Christian life that I just don't think is talked about enough. Like in circles like ours, we love to talk about the power of God unto salvation. Like we love to get a ton of emphasis on the power of the gospel to save us. Like we're a people who love to talk about getting people to a place where they pray a prayer and ask God for their salvation. And I'm not hating on that at all. That absolutely needs to happen. In the life of every believer, there needs to come a moment where you realize the magnitude of your sin and you realize your need of a Savior and you actually need to call out to God and ask for forgiveness for your sins and you can be wiped clean. You can be made new. You can be brought into relationship with God. That moment needs to happen. However, that moment is not the end goal. That moment is not the penultimate moment in the life of a believer. That moment is but a beginning. And I think that a lot of Christian circles, and a lot of Christian circles in our world, they view that as the end goal. Like if we can get you to pray a prayer, if we can get you to be baptized, if we can get you to come to church semi-regularly and give a little bit of money, then we win. But I'm just telling you, like from the narrative of Scripture, that's not a win for your life. That's not what Jesus is looking for because that mentality neglects an entire portion of our spiritual life that the Bible calls discipleship and learning to be more like Jesus, learning to walk with Jesus and lean on him and trust in his power. We must realize that the gospel doesn't just have the power to save us. It has the power to sustain us. It has both, like that's what the back half of this Lord's Prayer teaches. The first half tells us of God's power to, to bring us into right relationship with him, of God's power for his name to be hallowed among all the earth, for God's power to push back against the forces of darkness and to establish the kingdom of light. But the back half of the Lord's Prayer teaches us that not only, does God's power, not only is God's power strong enough for that, but it's also sufficient to provide for you your daily bread. It's also sufficient to give you forgiveness that you need every day. It's also sufficient to help you forgive others who have wronged you. And it's also sufficient to help you fight back against the temptations that you face every single day. The gospel is sufficient to save for all eternity. But it is also sufficient to sustain in the here and now. We must see both. In the power of God you can begin to fight back against the temptations that you face every single day.
Like if you want a passage of scripture to, to study a little bit more, I would encourage you to go read Romans chapter 6. We're not going to dive into that tonight because we don't have time, but go read Romans chapter 6. If you're a note taker, write that down. I'm going to read a couple of verses for you that I just want you to see, but we're not going to study it in depth. Romans 6 verses 6 and 7 say this, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In verse 12, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is good news. And we don't have time to talk about all the implications of that, but I want you to see this transformation that happens in the life of a believer. What Romans chapter 6 teaches us is that before coming to Christ, we are all enslaved to sin, meaning that we cannot help but go the direction of sin and move that direction. And it's this undercurrent that we cannot fight and we cannot resist. But whenever we come to faith in Jesus, and whenever we place our faith in Jesus, that we receive a new life and we receive new power working in us. The Bible will tell us that the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead now lives in you and you have the ability in that power to begin to fight back against the powers of darkness. So if you are a believer in the room, like I want you to hear me really clearly, you are not powerless to fight back against your sin. You're not. I believe so often we have this defeatist mentality whenever it comes to our sin. Like temptation is too strong, sin's too difficult. There's no way, and I'm just like a wilting flower. I can't help it. Like you're just so, like we're paralyzed, and we can't fight back. I just want you to know that is not a biblical way of thinking. Like you can absolutely begin to fight back. Does that mean that you're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. It does not. And I'm not trying to say that if you just pray a prayer and believe enough that all sin will go away. Like I'm not trying to say that. But I am trying to say that biblically speaking, whenever you come to faith in Jesus, you have a new power living in you. And you can begin by the power of God to resist temptation in our world and to fight back against the powers of sin. You are not powerless because the one who holds all power now lives in you. You believe that and you begin to fight back. And that brings us to our last question. How? Like how in the world do we fight? Like how do we fight this temptation? If you have the spirit of God living in you, there are multiple things that you can do. I'm going to give you a list of just five practical steps that you can take to begin fighting back against the temptation in your life. All right? And we're going to go as quickly as we possibly can. <laughs> Number one, these are going to be behind me on the screens. How do we fight back against temptation? We need to view sin rightly. We have to have a right view of sin. I touched on this a lot more last week, so I'm not going to repeat all of that teaching. If you want to go listen to that, it's on the podcast. You can go catch up with that. But we have to have a right view of sin. Like we have to actually have that James 1 view of sin, that sin leads to death. Sin leads to destruction. I think that we trivialize sin far too much in our life. Here's how I think we think about sin. I was thinking about this earlier this week. I'm on this 
journey right now of trying to eat better and exercise and get in good shape. It's been a journey that I've been on for a while, all right? And I've seen some good progress. But here lately in my life, I've hit a little bit of a plateau. And so I was talking to my wife about this a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, I'm really going to try to, like, redouble my efforts and, like, start eating a little bit better and working out a little bit more. And so I've been trying my best to, like, get back on the right track. You know what I mean? And that's all great, but there's only one problem with that. The problem is right across from my office here at the church, there's another office. And in that office is Emma Story, Brooke Durrance, and Anna Kimsey. And these three girls always have incredible candy in their office. Like just always have great treats. And the other day, I was walking past the office and I saw Emma filling a, like I don't even know how big this jar was, like a big jar full of my personal favorite, Sour Patch Kids, right? And I just, I feel so powerless to Sour Patch Kids, right? And I'm trying to eat better, but there came a day, came a moment, Monday afternoon, this week, I'm ashamed to tell you, there came a moment where I was stressed, we had a lot of things going on, and I'm just in there, and I'm kind of like pacing back and forth, and I find myself, this is so lame, I find myself holding the entire jar of Sour Patch Kids, and I'm just like walking back and forth, and I'm like reaching in and just eating like three or four at a time. Like I'm just going for it, right? And I'm just eating these Sour Patch Kids, thinking to myself, and <laughs> Ryan Wingo, our worship pastor, walks in front of Emma in, in Emma's office, and he sees me like an animal, like eating these <laughs> Sour Patch Kids, and he like makes eye contact with me, and we, just, we both just burst out laughing, right? Because he knows, like, I'm trying to do better. And he's like, have yourself some Sour Patch Kids there, Adam. Like, he's just, like, making fun of me. We laugh. I put the Sour Patch Kids down, and I live to fight another day, right? Like, that was the mentality. Here's the deal. I think sometimes we view our fight against sin like that, that we make light of it. And we think, oh, it's just this problem, and I try my best. But, you know, if I, if I mess up, it's not that big a deal. I'll try again tomorrow. And so we get in groups, accountability groups, we call them, we sit around with each other and we talk about sin and we say, oh, did you struggle this week? Yeah, I struggled this week. How about you? Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, uh, let's pray together and let's, let's try again next week. But we do not realize the destructive power that sin holds over us. Like imagine with me in that scenario on Monday, imagine that I had that jar of Sour Patch Kids and I began to eat them, but what I didn't know is that instead of glorious, delicious sugar on the outside of those Sour Patch Kids, it was actually laced with some kind of poison. Let's say I didn't know that, but Ryan did. I would hope in that exchange, Ryan would have a very different view of that moment. And he would not laugh at me, but he would tackle me and try to get that away from me because he realized that the delicious little Sour Patch Kids were not just going to give me a little sugar high, they were going to lead to my destruction. That's the view that we need to have of sin. It's not your little pet issue. It's not just a bad habit. It's leading to your destruction. It will destroy you. And so we need to have a right view of sin. And whenever we have that right view of sin, we need to do the second thing, which is this. Make no provision. Make no provision. I'm taking that language directly from Romans chapter 13, verse 14, that says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What's meant by that is that 
Paul, in writing this letter, he's saying, don't put yourself in positions where you're needlessly going to be tempted. This is just practical wisdom. Like if you want to actually fight against sin and you want to actually fight against temptation in your life, you've got to think about your life and not needlessly put yourself in positions where you're going to be tempted. We get this, right? Like let's be guys, you know that it's not a good idea to go have movie night at your girlfriend's house at midnight when no one else is home. Like, you understand that, right? You're like, oh, there's nothing else. Just go home and go to bed. Like, don't go to the apartment. Don't do that. That's not wise. Like, if you have a problem with self-control around alcohol, don't go to the bar with your friends. Like, you understand that, right? Like, that's practical wisdom. If you have a problem looking at pornography on your phone late at night when you're laying in bed, then don't have your phone laying next to you whenever you try to go to sleep. And if you try to tell me that it's your alarm clock, I'm going to punch you in the face because they sell alarm clocks at the store. Like, go buy one. If you can't afford one, I'll buy one for you. I'll punch the dudes in the face, not the ladies, sorry. Um, you guys get this. Like, don't make provision for the flesh. Don't give yourself, put yourself in positions where you're needlessly going to be tempted. This requires us to do some self-reflection. To think about your life. Think about the specific ways in which you are tempted. The enemy comes at each of us uniquely. He knows our individual struggles. And so he's going to tempt you different than he's going to tempt me. But consider, where are you tempted? Where is that temptation the highest? Right? And then begin to make no provision for the flesh. So, we view sin rightly. We make no provision. And the third thing we do is we find, find your people. Find your people. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the type of community that we're meant to belong to. Like consider the people that you're running with. Are they that kind of people? Are they the kind of people that are going to stir you up to love and good deeds? Are they the kind of people that are going to encourage you and push you closer to Jesus? If the answer to that question is no, perhaps it's time for you to make a change. Perhaps you need some new people in your life. We care deeply about community here at Prince College. That's why we put so much time and energy into these things that we call family groups. Because we want you to be in community with people who love Jesus and who love you and who are going to walk with you and encourage you to become the man or the woman that God has called you to be. We need one another, y'all. Like, we need each other to live this life. We need a community of believers around us. Some of our temptations and sins are directly the result of the people that we're hanging out with. We need a change. We need genuine biblical community, a community that we can be honest with that we can share our struggles with, that we can confess our sins to. Like confession is not a lost art of the church. Confession is not some antiquated tradition of the church. Confession is the way by which we get free from sin. Like James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Like if you want freedom from sin, we need people in our life that we can actually be real and honest with, confessing our sins to one another and praying for another. So you need to find your people. Number four, we're going to move faster. Number four, you've got to persist in prayer. Persist in prayer. That's what this entire line in the Lord's Prayer is about. 
Like Jesus is, is inviting us to pray and ask God for help in fighting back against temptation. Like we live in a world that is a largely pragmatic world. Like we want quick solutions to our problems. We want a system in place that's going to help us get the desired results in as short amount of time as possible. That's the world that we live in. But this problem, temptation and sin, is far beyond the power of a system or a structure. We need the power of God. We need to be people who ask for God to help us fight back against temptation. Jesus consistently teaches us to do this, but he also models it. Like in the the hardest moment of his life, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he hits his knees in prayer. And he says, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it be. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's Jesus praying for God's help to not give up, to endure, to take it, to finish, to finish what he, God had called him to do. We need to persist in prayer. And lastly, we need to know God's word. We need to know God's word. Psalm 119 talks about this in verses 9 through 11. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, this is really important. The way we fight back against the lies of the enemy is to fill our minds with the truth of God. You need to hear that. Like we need... We need this in our life. We see this modeled in Jesus' life as well. In his temptation narrative, in Matthew chapter 4, every temptation that the enemy hits him with, he responds with scripture, with who God is and what God says. We need to be people like that. So here it is. How do we fight temptation? We view sin rightly. We make no provision. We find our people. We persist in prayer and we know God's word. Hear me really clearly, Prince College. I'm not saying that those five things are like a silver bullet that's going to help you beat temptation every single time. As long as you live on this earth, you will face temptation. It's been said before that the gospel in this season of life, it frees us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. But we will one day be delivered from the presence of sin, but we have not been yet. We're always going to face temptation in this life. But in the power of God, you can actually begin to fight back. Like if we're actually going to be a city on a hill burning brightly, shining brightly for the glory of the Lord, we must be people who learn to look to the power of the gospel, not just to save us and to get us into heaven one day, but to sustain us in the here and now, to fight back against the powers of darkness, to fight back against the powers of temptation and begin to live the lives that God has called us to. That's what I want for you. I want freedom for you. I want life for you. I want joy for you. And I believe that the only way that you will find it is in the arms of Jesus.